This podcast is supported by .tech Domains, a domain extension designed with the tech community in mind. .tech Domains allow you to create strong, tech-focused positioning for your brand. The .tech extension offers a ton of availability, so you don't have to compromise on your domain name. And it's intuitive and descriptive, which will help you create a great first impression and stand out in the crowd. Big brands are already using the .tech extension, including Viacom, CES, and Intel. The .tech domain has also been great for startups. In fact, startups using the .tech extension have already raised $500 million in funding. Whether you are looking for a domain for your tech startup, tech blog, or personal portfolio, a .tech domain is the way to go. Get your .tech domain today at www.get.tech. And be sure to use coupon code BESTTECHIE to save 96% on all one-year and five-year registrations. Pricing for one-year registrations start at just $1.99. Again, that's www.get.tech and coupon code BESTTECHIE. Hey guys, Jeff here from BestTechie.com and this is Techie Bytes episode 32. Today I'm speaking with Nis Frome, co-founder at a company called Alpha. We discuss how to build successful content marketing initiatives, as well as new techniques and tactics content marketers should be using, but probably aren't. Enjoy. This podcast is supported by Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your own professional website. Choose a template you love or start from scratch, drag and drop to customize anything, and use advanced design features like video backgrounds and image galleries. You can even add professional business solutions like an online store, booking system, or blog. I've personally tested and reviewed Wix on Best Techie and can say without a doubt that Wix is extremely easy to use and a great choice for both novice and advanced users. So go ahead, try it yourself. Go to Wix.com and create your own website today. That's Wix, W-I-X.com. I'm here with Nice Frome, the co-founder of a company called Alpha. They're based here in New York City with me. Um, and Nice, uh, we've been friends for a while now. You've uh, we've we've talked for quite some time actually. You worked on a previous company, which we'll get to. But it's great having you on the podcast. I'm really excited to to have you on today to talk a lot about uh, content marketing. Is is really the topic of I think of today, right? Thanks. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here, Jeff, and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. So. Tell me uh, a, a little bit about who you are, you know, and what you're doing right now. Kind of give us in broad strokes what, uh, you know, what, what you're doing and what you're building at Alpha. Sure, yeah. So I co-founded a company called Alpha four years ago, uh, actually just this past Sunday. And Oh, congrats uh, on the anniversary. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, we, uh, we celebrated over the past week. So, uh, <laughs> right, looking forward to five now. And so... <laughs> Yeah, it's an on-demand insights platform uh, for product teams, but really for anyone uh, making decisions that impact their users, which is you know roughly everyone at a company. And so we're really helping bring companies closer to those users, closer to the implications of those decisions, and really uh, lower the risk and help them validate decisions beforehand. Gotcha. So, so exactly like what types of tools and things are you building in Alpha to to, to kind of facilitate that for for, for companies? Yeah. So the way we look at it is like really making it as easy as possible to go from question to insight and shorten that iteration cycle. So 
Uh, we'll do anything essentially that shortens the iteration cycle. We do have a platform that enables our clients to uh, source a target audience, uh, create interactive prototypes, run tests uh, where those uh, that audience members, those users really interact with the prototypes, record their screens, give feedback afterwards, and then kind of run iterations on that. In uh, right now, it's about two day uh, iterations. When we started the company, it was about five day iterations, and we hope to get that down to six hour iterations uh, by the end of next year. Wow. So, so what does the process look like in terms of reducing the amount of time? Um, you know, it, 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 you know, someone using your product would uh, need to take out of their <laughs> their day, bless you. What, how, how, how do you go about doing that? How do you reduce the iteration time? Yeah, so there, there's a few different areas we look at. The first kind of happens away from our platform, and this will take us, you know, the conversation to content marketing, which is that uh, it requires a lot of behavior change. Like, you can't shorten an iteration cycle if uh, someone doesn't understand why iteration is important, why experimentation is important, how to frame a hypothesis, why they should get uh, feedback from users and how to make decisions with that data. So all of that we can't necessarily solve with technology. That's behavior change. That's you know adv advocacy. Uh, that's really getting people to think about their job and the way they work differently. And that's where you know the content and the marketing comes in. Then in between that, once you've you've kind of made that impact, changed those behaviors, then you know it's a lot of technology. We have machine learning, which you know, builds out these tests. We have on-demand uh, freelancer networks that kind of build the interactive prototypes, integrations that get us access to different audiences and users, and all of that's the fun, cool technology part. But the really, you know, sometimes the really hard part is the behavior change. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And people get you know stuck in their ways, right? And they're they're used to doing it a particular way, and they that's the way they feel comfortable with, and and and. You know, they may be aware sometimes that there's another way out there, but they're hesitant to try it without knowing that, you know, or at least feeling more confident that it's a better way. And even then, exactly. some people are just stubborn, but, <laughs> you know, yeah. sometimes yeah, you can't yeah. help those people. Um, but speaking of content marketing, so you, uh, you're responsible for many of the content marketing initiatives at Alpha. Um, and one, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the earlier ones that you started that has definitely gained a lot of success and popularity uh, is this podcast that you guys launched called This Is Product Management, right? Yeah, we do have this uh, phenomenal content team here. Uh, and Mike Fishbein, who launched uh, the podcast, is the host of the podcast. He's kind of a, a celebrity. When we go to conferences, people literally <laughs> come up to, him to get his autograph. It's like, it's kind of crazy. So... So you started. So you and your team started this. This is product management podcast. What was what was the reason behind wanting to start the podcast uh, in in the first place? Obviously, you had this product alpha that you that you, you know that that that's and the company that's actually it's a it's a essentially a branded kind of initiative, right? Where you, there's no advertising on, on your podcast. It's it's everything is is branded by alpha you have on your website if you go to the this is product management website it says that the podcast is brought to you by alpha and things like that um why 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 start the podcast sure yeah so we didn't think to ourselves let's start a podcast um quite frankly i had never listened to a podcast before that uh i still don't really listen to any podcasts <laughs> so uh somewhat uh not as well connected with your audience but um but I appreciate that they are listening. So, you know, we didn't start with let's let's create a podcast. We started with, you know, how do we change these behaviors? How do we get people to work more 
effectively uh, prepare for the future and, and help their organization succeed in the future, right? And so we had a lot of different data points, uh, you know, telling us which directions to go and how we could uh, really, like you said, like lower the risk of change, make change more comfortable, more uh, beneficial, more attractive and compelling, right? And so uh, the podcast is one of many different initiatives we've launched over the years, some of which have worked and some of which haven't. Uh, but in particular, the podcast came from a lot of data showing that, one, a lot of people commute, that they didn't already fill their commutes with other sorts of learning and education, and that um, audio and interviews would be a really good format. Uh, and then even before launching the podcast, we really just did three episodes, created a landing page, uh, ran a bunch of ads and testing and, and looked at the conversion rates and decided to pursue the podcast further. But um, for every this is product management you see from us, there's five other things that didn't work out. So it's really eating our own dog food, testing and learning and seeing what works and not presupposing what the solutions are. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you find that that uh, that people in your company like listening to the podcast as well? Yeah, actually, it's been like a phenomenal recruiting channel, which I had never, you know, it's not anywhere near why we started it. But um, probably five to 10 people here and, you know, we're, we're a 52 person company, so it's a pretty significant percentage, uh, found out about our company through the podcast. So um, that's a pretty affordable uh, recruiting channel. No, absolutely. Especially when talent these days is so tough yeah. to, to find, um, you know, even in a city like New York or in San Francisco or in the Bay Area, uh, it, you know, you're basically fighting amongst other really uh, competitive and talented companies that, that are out there uh, for the best of the best. And, and, and to have something like uh, the podcast that you've developed with this as product management as a way to, uh, you know, get people excited about what you're doing yeah, uh, yep. is, super, is super powerful. Um, yeah, it, it appeals yeah. to the people that haven't changed their behaviors yet that want to learn more, but it also really appeals to the people that are in alignment with the way, you know, our thesis about the future and want to join a company that's trying to accelerate the path there. Definitely. So can you talk a little bit more about how you how, how you grew the podcast, bless you again, from, from the first uh, three kind of, let's say, test episodes that you put out there with, uh, you know, till I guess you have 100 plus episodes today. Oh my, I think yeah. over 150, right? Yeah, I think we just hit like 169 this week, I think. Uh, yeah, so it's been a, it's yeah. been like three years. Yeah, more than three years. Um, yeah, so a lot of testing and learning. I'll give you like one example of, you know, thinking about going from problem space to solution space as, you know, taking that sort of product uh, mindset and bringing it into a content mindset. Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, early on, everyone, all the listeners asked us, like, they really wanted a transcript of the interviews, right, uh, to accompany the podcast. And we always thought that was kind of a strange request because someone doesn't, like, read a blog post or then request, like, hey, can you turn this into a video or can you turn this into, like, an audio? Like, it's weird, like, transforming from one, you know, medium to another is not, like, such a sensible request. And if you really think about like transcribing a podcast, it doesn't make for very good written, you know, for reading yeah. because it's, it's very choppy. It's a lot of back and forth. Uh, the way people speak isn't the way they write and it's, it's really hard to read. So we thought, what's, what's the real problem here? So we dug a little further and we asked, you know, a bunch of users questions. We have this continuous feedback loop with users, right? And what we look for is, you know, what's the real problem they're solving? And what, what turns out is everyone wanted two things. They wanted to know, all the different books and references that the uh, guest on the podcast was mentioning, 
and they wanted to know, uh, you know, a couple of the key points in the podcast they could skip to, to know when a certain topic was being discussed. And we realized, okay, well, you don't need a transcript. You just need, you know, episode highlights. Right. And since we rolled out episode highlights now more than two years ago, we have not had a single request for a transcript since then. And before that, we were getting requests five to 10 times a week. So it just shows, you know, going from problem space to solution space. Uh, and one, transcripts would have cost us money. And two, it would have put a lot of text out there that was not so great to read. And people might have done that instead of listening to an episode and not really valued the content as much as they would have if they'd listened. So that's just mm -hmm. one example of how we're continuously trying to make the podcast better and grow in the audience. Yeah, I mean, that that's certainly a... You know, you think about it, you, you, you come you come at it from a couple uh, perspectives here. It's like, people are asking for X, right? But it, but it, or for the transcript being X. And, but you're like, that, does that really, does that really solve the need that they're, you know, that they're looking for uh, with the transcript? And the answer was, you know, as you found out was no. But the only way to truly find that out was to test that and, you know, and, and to test that hypothesis and see and kind of find out exactly what people wanted the transcript for we had on um sandy lynn uh wh whose episode was just released uh, uh uh today on when they were recording this and she's the ceo of skill jar and she was telling us how um you know early on when when her product had uh, uh didn't have much reporting kind of functionality built in if, if, if any really uh she she reached out to her customers and she was like well who wanted who wanted the ability to have these reports? She said, "Well, what do you, what do you use these reports for? Like, what's the workflow process? What, you know, um, what you know, and things like that." And what she ultimately found out was that it's not so much the reporting; it's more about getting the data that they had um, from using her platform into Salesforce uh, for for uh, for whatever mm -hmm. you know use case that was. So so they were able to build out a way to kind of get the data that the, that the customers wanted into Salesforce in a much uh, easier manner uh, and, and and you know certainly she could have just built out more reports right but that wouldn't be the kind of the smart way to kind of go about it uh, you know just because just because the customer asked for you know or several customers asked for a report yeah absolutely the the more we've the more you know kind of content initiatives we've launched the more we've realized the overlap between product management and content marketing and just the uh, ultimately, you're building solutions for your audience. In a product context, it's technology that helps them do a job. In the content and marketing context, it's thought leadership, best practices, education that, again, helps them do their job. And uh, kind of the way we talk about it is you're selling promotions no matter what you're doing. So if it's product, you're helping people, your users get promoted and their jobs look good. And if it's content, it's the same. Mm -hmm. So t talk, talk a little bit about some of the other uh, content marketing initiatives you guys have tried it out for some that have been uh, successful some that haven't been um, and what you've kind of learned along the way with each one yeah so I'll, I'll talk about one that you know so of course the successful ones always seem obvious in hindsight and unsuccessful <laughs> ones as well but at the time you know they all sound equally plausible right mm -hmm. and so you know one that's worked is a medium publication in that we realized um a lot of kind of podcasts obviously bias toward experts uh, and people with you know some name recognition coming on and, and we realize in product management like some of the best insights come from people in the trenches right who you've never heard of and it, you know it's great to hear how a Google product manager accomplished something but you know they have infinite resources and the best you know the best recognized brand in the world but how does someone at some 
hardly funded bootstrap startup, how do they achieve success, right? And so uh, we launched a medium publication and now it's got uh, contributions from all over the world, from product managers at small companies, large companies, every industry. And it's, it's really become one of the most popular product management publications. And so I'd say that's been a really great success. Uh, something that wasn't successful that uh, kind of in hindsight makes sense, but at the time didn't, was uh, we tried creating a forum for product managers. Uh, I know there's different Slack communities and forums, and ultimately they all uh, have a similar problem, which is that every product manager has uh, a little bit of a different role that the, the industry hasn't really formalized in a way that like digital marketing has. And so what happens is that at any given time, the question that one product manager has isn't really relevant to anyone else. So a lot of people post questions and very few people engage in those questions or post answers because they're just in a different mindset or a different frame of reference or just dealing with something else. So it kind of becomes uh, crickets chirping rather than like useful conversation. So, you right. know, uh, the, the forum just is, is kind of sporadic and all over the place. And it makes sense in hindsight, but at the time it seems like, well, everyone's got problems and answers and this will be helpful, but it really wasn't. So, so I'm curious though, how, how do you kind of um, make it work on Medium then? It, you know, where you're coming, people are writing these articles uh, for your Medium publication, right? That are uh, based on their experiences and whatnot, you know, things that they went through. How, how, did, how, do, you, how do you kind of differentiate, it's not really differentiation, but how is it different yeah. from, yeah, yeah, that's from the forum question. post? That's a great question. One, forums tend to be somewhat linear in the sense that, you know, the question got posted today, you don't need the answer in two weeks, you need it today, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the which is the problem. Medium is the opposite. Medium is you're posting the answers, right? So right, right. It's, it's people talking about how they figured something out. So, and, and the long tail on that is often we'll actually see articles go viral months after they're published. They get picked up or found and something becomes a hot topic. So for example, uh, when tech and responsibility has become like a really hot topic recently, all these articles published, you know, in the past five years on our publication that are on that topic are becoming popular again. Or if uh, Google makes some announcement about their product management program, any article we have on that topic will become popular again. So um, we're finding that time uh, in that sense isn't really uh, as relevant on Medium as it is on a forum. Gotcha. That, that makes sense to me. I get that. Yeah, uh, it's just hard to predict that while while you're launching. Like they all sound plausible while you're la you're launching, but that's the whole point of test and learn is that these little nuances become you know make or breaker. Definitely. So so when you have something like the forum idea, uh, that you know uh, uh, at some point you came to the realization that it just wasn't working the way you guys had intended. Um, how and how and when do you decide you know it's time to kind of pull the plug on that idea? Sure. Yeah. So the process for for all this stuff kind of starts with the end state. Like, what does the vision look look like? Like, what does extraordinary success in three years look like? And and you you paint that picture up front. The reason you do that is because um, if you do that and it doesn't excite anyone, then it's, it's probably not even worth working on. Because if the best case scenario isn't aligned strategically with where the company's going and where you want to allocate resources, there's really no point. So you start there. And then you, you, you go all the way to the beginning. You say, what is V1 and what does V0 look like? V1 being like what most people call like a minimum viable product and V0 being like just your hypothesis you're going to test up front, right? And you basically 
you, you take your V0, which is all these hypotheses, you start testing them. And if you can't get to a V1, then you kind of kill it. But that's agreed upon really early on. So for a forum, you know, the V1 might look like, you know, every day there's at least five conversations going on with the, this and this feature. And, you know, we're getting this sort of feedback. We, we, we generally frame success early on in, the, in terms of the feedback we get, which is if we turned it off, people would be really upset. If we skipped a week of the podcast, for example, uh, we'd get a whole bunch of angry emails being like, what the hell happened? And that's actually something <laughs> we tried. We, we skipped the podcast for a week. And if no one sent us an email, that would mean that they didn't really need it. And fortunately, we did get a lot of emails saying, hey, what the hell happened? Right. And so uh, the forum was. The that's same why way. If, that's why exact. That's exactly why if, if I'm ever not going to be able to do the podcast for a week or so, I always make an announcement yeah. <laughs> at the beginning yeah. of the episode, just in case that way that try and minimize uh, on that. But that's a fair point. <laughs> right. Right. Because you publish every Tuesday it becomes a part of someone's job. Right. Is to listen like that's their Tuesday. Right. For us. Right. Uh, we've always published on Monday morning so that. Um, West coasters could listen in the morning and East coasters could listen on their commute home. And so it's kind of like Monday night football is the terms we've always put it. That's our slot and we don't want to lose that slot and people count on on us for that slot. Right. And so, you know, with the forum, there was a bunch of hypotheses and we weren't able to really validate, uh, a large number of them, uh, including that there was, you know, huge misalignment between the questions people had and the answers people were seeking at any given time. Gotcha. So, so do you, so when you're when you're when you're testing your content marketing uh, initiatives, do I mean are you are you also using your own product at Alpha to kind of to kind of do that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, years ago we didn't have much of a product, but ne- uh-huh. you know now obviously much more so than when we were just starting. Actually, stuff like the podcast really came about even before we had a product. We really, you know, one of the initial hypotheses of the company was that we can change the way people work when it comes to experimentation, product management, um, and, and testing and iteration. And so, you know, we could prove that with content before we could prove that with technology. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I know that, you know, that you've written quite extensively, extensively about, especially on Medium, and uh, is about obviously content marketing and best practices that go along with it. And one of the interesting things that I read in one of your posts was, uh, you know, content marketers kind of, uh, to di- you know, as of today, kind of have this spray and pray approach, right? Where yep. they put out a, a bunch of content, all different kinds, and you're, they're not really testing and, and, and iterating it as, as coming at it from a product mark, uh, ma- a management kind of standpoint. Yep. Uh, what, you know, what, what's, A, I guess, what's wrong with that approach? And, ex- and then, and then explain, you know, what could they be doing better? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I advocate and where I see a huge overlap between product management and content marketing is like the value of that feedback loop with your audience and testing and learning. And if you think about content product as two sides of the same coin, which is helping your end user, your target audience, get better at their jobs, have more success, achieve higher ROI, get promoted, right? Then, then you need your content product both to drive in that direction. So for example, if your product has a bug like that your client spent a lot of money on it, they have a bug, their, their data gets breached or whatever, and they look really bad, you could get them fired. Well, it's the same way for content. If you give them bad advice or something that doesn't work, they could get in trouble for that, right? And so what I see a lot in, in the spray and pray is that you then have like kind of a lot of orphan content out there 
that's really misaligned. Like it was written by someone who, who who's not an expert, who didn't really know what they were talking about. It's not just the content doesn't help you bring in leads or, or help you move the needle. It's that that content actually reflects badly on your brand afterward. Like if you're a buyer who is looking to improve your business and you read content that not just doesn't resonate, but like smells wrong, as in that it doesn't reflect your experiences, you've already tried that and you know it doesn't work, like that then reflects badly on the on the company producing that content. So so that's why a spray and pray approach, it's, it's like shipping products that are riddled with bugs but are mission critical products, mm-hmm. right? That reflects really badly. And the second is just that it's, it's a waste of resources, right? It's that, you know, if you really have that feedback loop with your customer and you, you know what's going to help them move the needle, like why are you spraying and praying <laughs> you should have <laughs> much smarter bets right um, yeah. it's just kind of an inefficient way to do really anything yeah uh, i agree with you on that so so what are some of the i guess techniques that content marketers should be using uh, and, and implementing it you know uh to kind of to be more smart about uh the, the the types of content they produce and making sure that that feedback loop with their customers is in fact uh you know a, a valuable and positive one for them Sure. Yeah. So uh, a couple things. Uh, one, there's like a very simple heuristic I have uh, where where you can look at any company's blog and tell whether or not their content team is customer focused. Right. It's kind of, you know, I don't want to say it's 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 true for all companies, but it's just a simple like rule of thumb I use, which is that if their blog posts uh, are bylined by someone with a marketing title, then I, I would assume that they're not very customer focused. But if they're bylined by a subject matter expert, they are customer focused. And even if the articles are written by their marketing team, like think about it. If you're a product leader or you're an engineering leader, a CIO, CTO, and you're reading an article, like do you want it written by a marketer? Is that what you're going to read? Because that's sales content. Or do you right. want to read it by an, another CIO or a peer? Right. And so that's something that's a way I can quickly tell whether a marketing team is talking to their customers or not, because if they're talking to their customers, they would know that there's that misalignment. They would know their customers don't want to read anything from sales and marketing. They want to read stuff from peers and experts, right? What, so that, what, that's the first I have a question uh, regarding yeah. that, because I think that's a great point. Um, there are some companies though, usually larger ones. I, one that comes to mind right now is Dropbox. They have yeah. multiple blogs, right? One, one, one's more technical focused, one's obviously more sales and marketing focused. Um, one's kind of company focused, right? What yep. you know, is that? Does that approach make sense to you? Yeah, that that approach would tell me that they're they're solving problems. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's you know a bit unique. It could just be that they they're you know they really like the SEO around that. I'm not really sure, but but generally like uh, engineering blogs I've seen be really smart for recruiting. Probably less so for marketing. Mm-hmm. Makes yeah, it makes but, sense. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm more speaking around enterprise SaaS, although I know Dropbox is now in enterprise SaaS, but, um, but you know, for consumer-oriented companies as well, there, there's some interesting uh, areas of content marketing. Right. So, so what kind of so 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 now that you, we've identified uh, what you know what, what 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 you look for and what you know other people should look for to kind of get an idea of whether their content marketing team uh, is kind of is being smart and using. Uh, I guess using their own team to their own, you know, to their advantage, right? Yeah. Uh, what you know, what other things um, should 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 you be looking for, or sure. should you consider yeah. implementing? Sure. Yeah. So uh, so a few things there. So again, so the first is really that content marketing shouldn't 
necessarily look like content marketing externally, right? It, it should look like best practices and uh, helping who's ever reading it get better at their own jobs, not learn more about your specific brand. So, so there's a couple of things there. In terms of uh, rapid iterations, there's so many things I see content teams doing that um, there's a much easier way to learn whether or not they should be doing it. So for example, uh, content teams spending months creating eBooks and reports when they could really just put up a landing page and see if anyone signs up for or tries to download an ebook and then they could say, hey, we're still working on this. So one of the more shady things we did that I don't advocate for, uh, but when you're a bootstrapped company and you don't have a lot of resources, it just is what it is. Uh, we looked at all the ebooks and reports from all the different companies uh, already uh, kind of in the industry and we put up landing pages for like literally their content. And then we drove ad traffic to each of the landing pages and just saw what got downloaded and what didn't. And then the three highest performing reports and eBooks we recreated with our own brand. Uh, we ran our own surveys. We, you know, we, we created our own versions of the reports. Uh, and then we put those up and you know, they were popular because we had already validated that they would be popular. So right. you had to be a little scrappy sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't necessarily advocate for that, but that sort of mindset, at least, of how can we bring the end state first? If you're going to have to run an ad campaign to get the word out, just start with that and see if it gets the word out before you, you know, do all the work of creating the content. So, so that sort of product mindset uh, is really helpful for just making smarter bets. And if you are going to throw spaghetti at a wall, at least, you know, making making it a smarter bowl of spaghetti. Mm -hmm. So, so one of the things I know you have written about and you also just kind of alluded to was, uh, you know, if you're going to create an ebook before you actually do it, like you said, put up kind of like a pre-order landing page, right? Uh, and if it doesn't, and let, let's say you get, you know, is there, is there a particular number of people that you look for, for these types of things, uh, to determine whether or not to go ahead and pull the trigger and actually create that ebook? Sure. Yeah. We have uh, kind of a phrase internally that you should never look at dashboards. Uh, and the reason we have that phrase is because if you're really, really close to your users, uh, you never really learn anything from dashboards. You just learn to what extent something you already know is true or not true. So, for example, um, we look for we bias toward uh, unsolicited feedback more than anything else. Right. If a podcast episode is good, what would happen is that if we launch a podcast, it goes out and we'll get emails cold email sent us saying this episode was amazing right and if we don't get any cold emails we know that the episode just wasn't that good right and then when we look at a dashboard it just confirms what we already knew which is that we got 20 unsolicited emails that episode's doing really well and if we got zero that episode is doing below average we couldn't necessarily tell to what extent it's really doing well or to what extent it's not doing well from cold emails but we already directionally know so it's the same is true for ebooks if we put up a pre-order even if 500 people download it, if no one reaches out to us being like, hey guys, when is this gonna be live? Like, I really need this report to do my job to get better, right. well that tells us something. But if we get five emails immediately saying, guys, I need this ASAP, you know, that, that tells us something else. So that we, we bias toward unsolicited feedback and away from dashboards. So, so, so you find that, you know, let's say you put up this, this landing page and I'm just, I'm just, I find this, this approach to be really interesting and uh, one that I one I one I never really considered actually before uh, reading your articles. Um, so I, I'd love to kind of learn a little bit more. So sure. like, so in terms of when you, you know, you you put up this landing page, you get a bunch of people signing up, let's say, and then uh, uh, but you don't get any um, 
you don't get any uh, emails coming in at some point saying, you know, when can I get this? You just kind of kill it then and there, and it's like, you know, no one's asking for it, so they, you know, they probably won't even remember that they signed up for it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's one extent, and the second is, you know, over time, obviously, you have like a, a much bigger audience that you're accessing from. So, like any new initiative we have, obviously, we email out to our podcast list and our medium mm-hmm. list and all that. So, you know, the unsolicited emails, go, you know, turn from cold emails to us to email replies to us. So right. it gets much, much easier over time to have those feedback loops. But essentially, yeah, essentially that's what we're looking for. We want to, like I said, we're selling promotions. The product helps our clients get promoted. The content helps our clients and the broader market get promoted, right? And so if, you know, if you're selling job promotions, that's something a lot of people want. And if they want it, they're going to tell you. And if they don't tell you, it means they probably don't want it. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. So if you're uh, you're you you've been an entrepreneur for a while. Uh, when I first yeah. met you, you were working on a, a different company called Hublish at the time, and and I, I'm I'm just curious. So obviously Alpha is not your first venture, but what what did you bring you know to the table um, when you when you started Alpha as a co-founder? You know that you had learned from prior experiences. Yeah. Well, I think it was a lot of the stuff we're talking about here. Hublish was in the content marketing space. Mm-hmm. And we were building a product for that space. So got to learn a lot about how difficult it is. I had been a marketing consultant before that. So, um, you know, going from consulting to productization was really, really difficult, uh, much harder than I thought it could be. And we were in a startup environment where we had funding. We had no regulations, no internal politics. It was a team of a handful of people. Right. And seeing how hard that was. And then when I got connected to uh my co-founder who wanted to bring a, a test and learn methodology to companies of any size in heavily regulated environments, uh, I really had an appreciation for for how big a challenge that was to solve because, you know, I knew how hard it was in a startup environment. I couldn't imagine how difficult it was in a heavily regulated uh, bureaucratic environment. And right. so that was a really interesting challenge that I wanted to solve and fortunately had the content and marketing background to, to value that part of the solution and really wanted to learn how the product part came into to being. Cool. So last question before we get to the lightning round. I think this one sure. will kind of bring it all together and bring it home. If you're speaking to a fellow entrepreneur or a, a, an early member of a marketing team at a company, a startup, what what would be the what would be one you know what would be some of the first things you would do to get it up get that get that uh, marketing team content marketing team up and running. Yeah, I would tell them don't show up to the office uh, and just go straight <laughs> to the market. Like, one some of the first stuff we did at Alpha was just constant happy hours, constant lunch and learns, coffees with with different people in the market. We had nothing to sell to them at the time. We just wanted to learn, connect with them. Like, you buy someone a coffee, buy someone a beer. They'll give you some time. They'll talk through their challenges or just observe because you know most people can't necessarily articulate. Uh, what they're looking for, but you know, they can tell you what problems they have or you can just see firsthand what problems they have What they waste all their time doing right and so um, I actually think about that with you know onboarding people to alpha sometimes I want like hey Let's make your first day at our clients office and not here because you're not gonna learn that much in the four walls here But you're gonna learn a lot at our clients office so that might be like a little bit extreme But that's essentially what I would tell people in their first days is like you have to learn and you have to gain empathy for the customer and nothing I can tell you otherwise matters. Mm-hmm. You've, so, I mean, cust- being very customer centric always, I found has, you know, p- 
pretty much unlimited upside. You know, if you can, if you get in, the, you know, it's all about developing relationships ultimately at the end of the day, right? And being able to uh, get someone at another company to kind of want to champion your product, right? And mm-hmm. the best way to do that is by developing a relationship with that person, either in person or uh, as one of the ways you guys are, you guys are doing it through really smart content marketing, right? Yep. Yeah, cool. and that, that's that's why we have the office in New York City. We don't pay all this money to, to just hang out here. We, we do it because <laughs> this is where our clients are, and it's where a lot of the future of work is being defined, and, and let's let's leverage that. Nice. Well, Nice, you have made it through the interview process. <laughs> it is now time for the lightning round, which, of course, supported oh by Wix, where you can create a professional website today. That's at wix.com. That's wix.com. So, Nice, whenever you're ready, we'll get started with the lightning round. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Texting or talking? Ooh. Texting. What is one food you could never bring yourself to eat? Kale. <laughs> I'm with, I, 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 I would, for me, I, I would go with, like, I, I would go with kale if I had thought of it, but I was thinking, like, caviar or something. I'm not sure I would. Yeah, to my girlfriend's <laughs> dismay, it's, it's kale. I, I I've tried, but it, it just doesn't even it doesn't even look like food. I don't know. <laughs> um, what's what's your cure for hiccups? Uh, drinking water and then flipping upside down for three seconds. It, it works. I you know what I I've, I've gone through these different like periods where that works and then it doesn't work. <laughs> so like other times like I'll do that and then if it doesn't work I'll, I'll I've I've had luck with peanut butter lately. Really? Well, the craziest thing for me is if I don't do that, I will not stop hiccuping. Like, it could go on for hours <laughs> otherwise. So it's, it's crazy. It's actually a real problem. Yeah. Uh, so uh, would you ever fly to the moon or another planet? Probably not. Okay. Last question. Last song played on your phone or computer? Uh, last song played was by the uh, the band members from the Gorillas. I'm going to see the Gorillas this weekend, and uh, they have a band called The Internet. Uh, funny enough, and so <laughs> that's that's the other members from the Gorillas. Kind of the rappers have this own group, and they're opening for Gorillas. So I was checking out their album. Nice. Well, that sounds that sounds good. I'll have to give that a listen myself. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nice, it's been great having you on. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, uh, and, you know, poke your, you know, poke your brain or, or pick your brain, I guess, not poke your brain. Uh, <laughs> what's the, what <laughs> poking might maybe a little bit weird. Yeah, um, yeah. What, what's They're what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah. So fortunately, I don't have a a common name. So really, just searching Nis, you'll you'll find my website, and uh, you can hit me up at Nis at alphahq.com or on LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever. Nice. All right. Well, it's been great having you on. I really appreciate it. I hope you have a good rest of your day and I'll talk soon. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash best techie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.